Welcome to our podcast. We're Phil and Jen, and this is the fourth season of our podcast. Yeah. It's called This New Space, and this is the fourth episode, and we get to have a conversation that I've been really looking forward to with uh, Brian McLaren, and I'm going to introduce him. I don't think he needs an introduction, but I'm, I'm going I'm to read it anyway. Uh, a former college English teacher, Brian D. McLaren was a pastor for 24 years. Now he's an author, activist, public theologian, and frequent guest lecturer for gatherings in the U.S. and internationally. His work, uh, his work has been covered in Time Magazine, Newsweek, USA Today, The New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, and many other media outlets. The author of more than 15 books, including Faith After Doubt and the award-winning A New Kind of Christian. He's a faculty member of the Living School at the Center for Action and Contemplation, and McLaren lives in Florida. And we're discussing his newest book that's coming out this month called Do I Stay Christian? A Guide for the Doubters, the Disappointed, and the Disillusioned. And we're so excited that you're joining us. Oh, well, I'm thrilled to be with you guys. Gosh, hearing that introduction, I feel like no wonder I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> right? You can have a nap after this. <laughs> it's quite a bit, That's actually. Right. Yeah. Um, so we had, we jumped on this call right before we started and had only a handful of words. So we um, are church planters. We planted a church here in Costa Mesa, um, and we pastored for 19 years. Is and that so? We did. And then um, we pastored that church that we planted for just under 13 years and then stepped out of that role last year to um, step into some new things and some new work. And uh, always been a huge fan of your work from across the way. And been, I've been reading your book since like early when I was a youth pastor in the very beginning. Um, I'd bring them home and we'd, we'd been, it's an ongoing discussion. So it's super fun to be together with you, man. Well, gosh, we uh, sometime when we're not recording, we'll have to share more stories. I, we have a lot in common as church planters and mm. uh, all the rest. So yeah, lots uh, lots in common and so glad that we get to have this conversation now. Yeah. And we found your book to be really just helpful and hopeful and really just so smart. <laughs> just oh. appreciated all the thought and um, like obviously time that that took to write and care um i know that phil it's a brilliant book i know that you it's, it's moving to you it's really brilliant the way that you structured this and the sections oh, and how you did it and um i was actually sitting on the beach this morning reading through and rereading some sections and i found myself like actually crying on the beach mm -hmm. this morning which was um unexpected and actually quite overwhelming for me so i'm like fully emotionally engaged with you here um mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think this issue of identity, religious identity, and specifically Christian identity, it goes deep, doesn't it? Especially many of us, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a super Christian family. Um, and then I, I sort of started thinking, this isn't going to work for me, I'm going to have to leave. And then I had this very powerful spiritual experience as a teenager. And you know, anything that happens to us as a teenager is so formative in our yeah. our who we are i guess our identity our individuation is happening in in those years and so it's a big deal for a lot of us this both the 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 feeling that 
something isn't right, but the feeling, but this is who I am and how do we sort mm -hmm. that out? So I, I sure get it. Um, Phil, when you talk about it being emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Why would you say, um, well, how would you describe the book? Yeah, it's your 15th book. Like, how would you describe this at this time? <laughs> well, uh, I, I had this realization writing the book, and that is that all of my books have really been about Christian identity and, and this sense that there's something here that calls me, there's something here that keeps me, but yet there's something really, really wrong, and I can't just relax. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's maybe like you're, you go on vacation, you come back to your house, and you keep smelling smoke, you mm. know, mm. and this isn't right. Something's, yeah. something's dangerous here. So, uh, but what I felt I needed to do is try to honor and take seriously that dilemma, that, that paradox of, uh, of connection and disconnection. And, um, but, but what I didn't want to do in the book, I have no desire to do this. I wasn't writing the book to try to convince people who are having questions or doubts or misgivings that they really should stay. They're obligated to stay. You know, I, I read a lot of books like this sure. where mm -hmm. they would list, uh, you know, potential questions or doubts or problems with the Bible or things like this. And then it would refute every one of them, which then sort of meant that you were argued into having to stay Christian. Right. Yeah. There's one outcome to this book. Yeah. Right. That's right. But on the other end, I didn't want to write a book telling people, yeah, forget it. It's no good. You, you might as well move on. So I really just wanted to try to honestly grapple, mm. uh, grapple with the question that a whole lot of people are asking. And people would be surprised, uh, uh, you know, how many clergy are mm -hmm. grappling. Yeah. At, at I've heard question. as many as 40%. Uh, depending upon is that so? the, the yeah. demographic or the denomination, but as many as 40 in, in some groups, yeah. I, I was talking with a bishop, I won't say which denomination, but he was at a meeting of bishops not long ago. And after one of their meetings, they all went out for uh, drinks or something afterwards. And, and uh, one of them said he's retiring soon, and he doesn't think that he'll attend church anymore after retirement. And that opened up this conversation about how many of them felt that they would attend church now at, after what they've seen in the, the Christian, in Christian leadership, mm. uh, yeah. if they weren't required to do it. And, and um, so I just think there's this sense from people. It's not just, I, I, I see on the internet, sometimes people say, oh, those people who are deconstructing and doubting, mm -hmm. right. yeah. they're just trying to be cool or they're trying to fit in. They just don't understand. Oh, this is, this is deep. There are deep issues going on. And yep. it's much bigger. Yeah. And it's not just questions that have, I mean, I, I think the last few years have really obviously opened up more questions for people and more has been exposed, but these are questions people have had for, it's yes. been for a long time. And I mean, even when we were leading a church, like you say, like even just the label of Christian, and then you add like pastor on top of that. Yes. <laughs> I, mean, I just feel like going about the world. I mean, how many times did I say, I just wish we could just like take that label off even to be like, yeah. wait, but no, like you feel like you need to explain like yourself. I'm a human. Like, I'm you actually do? different. Than a human. The, you know. Please don't use that other label. Yeah. But. Well, it's, it's, but 
the last few years have really like catalyzed something, don't you think? Yeah. 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 When you say the last few years, Phil, what, what are you think? Are you thinking about Trump largely? Are you thinking, tell me what you're thinking about. Oh man. Um, it's yes. Yes. I, I think Trump is definitely part of it. The last several presidential election cycles and the way that we've seen the dominant sort of nationalistic Christian group in America respond the way they have and get behind what they have and the way that they've, who they've stood with and who they've stood against. And then, I mean, you see it play out in all the things that happened at the same time, a response to the pandemic, a response to immigrants, yeah. a response to now abortion, a response to yes. um, how to care for people in a time in which there's a global pandemic, a response to yeah. um, LGBTQ and like, it just, you could stack it up forever. And it's I think a, it really does. It feels like it's hit a tipping point for a lot of us anyway. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I come from this, I, I was brought up in this little super conservative Christian sect um, called the Plymouth Brethren. Most people have never mm. heard of it, but they're the ones who thought up uh, one of the worst doctrines in uh contemporary evangelical history which is the rapture we uh, i always tell people your team invented that my team invented that (laughs) in in the 1830s a lot of people who believe in it and were taught in it have no idea that it never existed in christian history until the 1830s and so it came from my little group um and (laughs) we made that up (laughs) in the yeah yeah you're welcome you're welcome um but in the 1800s uh uh, there was a fellow named Edmund Goss who wrote a book. It was called Father and Son. And I think that was the title. And I remember I read it when I was in college or graduate school. And he was gay. And he was the son of one of the leading Plymouth Brethren people who, who his father had become famous because his father was refuting evolution right after Darwin. And he was uh, coming up with all these ways to refute evolution. And Edmund Goss uh, decided to just write a book talking about what it was like to be, uh, in, in, imagine this in the, in the I mean, you, mid-1800s, yeah. wow. to, to say, and I don't, I, my father believed all this and I don't. And um, I remember as I read that, I, I thought, as you said a minute ago, um, Jen, that, uh, that this isn't new. This has been going on, you know, for, for a long time, but there's something that's, it just feels like the, the accumulated momentum. Uh, It's it's like a, an avalanche and the snowball keeps getting bigger, you know, uh, of craziness. Yeah. Yeah. We're calling this season that we're doing in the podcast right now, we're calling it this new space and we're exploring because we do feel like this, there's this new space right now that's happening in a lot of people's faith lives where what there is like some sort of tipping point right now, where I think a lot of people are just really going, what now? Yes. You know? And so your book feels really timely. Incredibly timely. Yeah. Well, there's such a, um, it's a tipping point, but it's, it's been happening for so long. And I feel like it, it, it's happens again and again throughout history. You see that like the cycle of 
that tipping point of, of the chaos through yeah. which these kind of changes have to emerge, but to see like a, a whole societal shift happening around, it's, it's like there's a big movement away from yes. what was into the next thing that, that, that really isn't known yet. And faith is at the center of it. Yes. You know, I'm just thinking, I, I don't want to bring up an unpleasant subject, but I'm thinking of you guys living in California on a, uh, on a San Andreas fault. <laughs> and, and, and you realize that, you know, earthquakes catch people by surprise, but the pressure builds up for centuries mm, and, yes. and yeah. longer sometimes. And then the sudden release of the pressure happens. And I don't even think we've seen the, the real earthquake yet. Mm. I, I think, I think the, the parts of the Christian religion that have become vicious and mean and uh, anti-science, like, and just losing common sense and that could that could fall for a, a, a sort of a petty narcissistic, like someone who's such a liar. He's not even a good liar. He's right. just a pathetic, embarrassing liar. And, uh, and watching all of this happen. And then this most recent, you know, the, it just seems like there's been a new wave of scandals about mm. um, among sort of Christian megachurch leaders and so on. I mean, like, I have a feeling we aren't anywhere near the bottom. Um, mm. I, meaning that I think the, the, the desperation in people that, and, and the conditions that make them be vulnerable to this, this kind of mess, you know, mm. is we, we haven't, those conditions haven't spent themselves yet. The pressure on the, on the two sides of the fault hasn't been released yet. Mm. And, um, and, and I, I think I think that's why we should expect. First, we we shouldn't we shouldn't think. Oh well, we're over the worst of it. No, I don't I don't think so. Yeah, I agree. But the other thing that I think is going on is it's not just showing up in the Christian religion. It's like these are tensions yeah. that are underneath so much of our whole civilization. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we happen to be alive when this is happening, and and I think getting that bigger perspective maybe will help us not be so freaked out. You know what I, you know yeah, what I mean? It, definitely. Yeah. yeah. That was actually helpful for me when we've, when we kind of went back through the history to see that this is, these sort of things have happened, these cycles again and again. Yeah. And yeah, it's I don't know of, why that gives me some sort of relief, but it does. <laughs> like, well, it's yeah. part of our humanity. It's part of it. Yeah. But, um, Jen, tell me if this might be part of it. There's this thing in me that thinks, Oh shoot! I'm a Christian, and these things are happening on my watch. I have to fix it. Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, we have to fix it real fast. And there, and and I'm not arguing for complacency, as you both know. Yeah. Uh, but the the opposite of complacency maybe is panic, and there's a kind of panic that can exhaust people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, and this is going to last long enough that we will all be exhausted way before it's over. So as yeah. you say, there's some need to try to get perspective and understand what's going on, I think. Yeah. And I think as, especially as leaders in like the Christian movement, I think there's also this feeling of like you're saying, fix it, but also even just caring for people in it. And that's, yes. I mean, that's exhausting too in its own yes. right. Um, but like, I think I am realizing, I mean, one of the things that I think I've been unpacking, even stepping out of being in a pastoral kind of position is like 
the need to, I, I, in a, I think out of a good heart, like want to care for people and, and take care of people. But I think in some ways I'm like almost an over-responsibility in that, if yeah. that makes sense. Oh my gosh. You know? I, I just think it's so good to, it's so healthy and necessary to just acknowledge that. Look, to make a, a an analogy that could be, you know, misunderstood in a lot of different ways. But if we were to say, look, um, the conditions were right in late 2019, early, early 2020 for a pandemic to spread. The conditions were right. And when the right mutation came along, it became a pandemic. And, and we could say the conditions are right for this kind of spiritual struggle and disillusionment yes. yeah, and yeah. all the rest to happen. And it's, and in a way, people like you two and myself and probably many folks who are listening, we're a little bit like healthcare workers. Yeah. It's not our fault the pandemic happened. It's not our fault that our leaders didn't know how to respond to it. It's not our fault that this happened a hundred years ago, but we forgot what a big deal it is. And so we were caught off guard. It's not our fault. But then you think of the nurses and the doctors and the hospital orderlies and all the others who for the last couple of years have just been pushed to the limit and had to see way too much death and had to see way too much suffering and had to tend to too many people out in the hallway rather than in a room because the hospitals are overcrowded. What a lot of us are experiencing is, is maybe some reflection of that. I'm not saying it's as hard as that, or I'm not trying to make any of those kind of sure, comparisons, yeah. but to say that there's something, there's something like that, that, and I, I have a good friend who's a nurse. And at the beginning of the pandemic, she said to me, I know this is going to be worse than people think. And I know it's going to last longer than people think. And I, I know that there's no way out for me. I've got to be there through this, mm, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm so grateful for, for all those people, yes. those nurses and, and people in that, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot. Yeah. One, it, there's a flip side to it. That's interesting in a spiritual sense is that I, I really do think there's like a new form emerging of whatever yeah. this thing is going forward. Yeah. And it you talk about ongoing mass extinction events in your book, which it I haven't even thought about it in that sense. That that's a whole different way of thinking about it. But like I mean, that's Jesus. It's through death comes life. There's yes. like a death coming yes. and then there's a, a new thing that's emerging and we are yes. how unique that we have front row seats and maybe even a small hand in whatever our little sphere of influence is of seeing whatever the spirit's doing in this new thing that's being birthed right now. You know, that's a rare time. It, it, it is. It, remi it reminds me, uh, thanks for saying that Phil, because I, it brings to mind a poem. I, I, this is a poem that's so good. I should memorize it, but I don't have it memorized, but from Wendell Berry. And he mm. just has one line in it where he says, practice resurrection. Mm. And, and this idea that, uh, that, yeah, that we, in a sense, have to, we keep getting hit with the trauma of death. Mm -hmm. um, but if we ever really got to the point where we, we understood, no, this is how the world works. This is how things happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and so my job is not to explain it or solve it or whatever, but it's to say, okay, I have to see this happening. And now how do I join the spirit in 
the resurrection work that's that's trying to happen. I love how you say it in the book, just like how do how are we going to be human? Yeah, you know, and I just that's it was it it really resonated with us because that's actually language we've been using a lot recently, and I'm hearing it yeah. actually. It feels like you know when you hear something all of a sudden, it, or you're saying something and then you hear it everywhere. It's yeah. like one of those things, but we've been talking a lot about like, what does it mean to be fully human, to be fully alive yeah. and present, you know, yeah. to all this. And, and yeah. there, you know, I, I have, I, I have uh, some rabbi friends who um, they're absolutely heartbroken over what's happening in Judaism. Like they're worried about us Christians. They see this resurgence of Christian anti-Semitism. But yeah. meanwhile, they're watching some of their fellow Jews, especially leaders of the Israeli government, mm. do horrible things to Palestinians who they whose equal human rights they respect. And and I have Muslim friends who, you know, have similar feelings about certain sectors of Islam. And yeah. and um I have friends who used to be Christians who are now atheists, who are now really embarrassed about the way a lot of their fellow atheists behave. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually you sort of realize, oh, you know, the whole human species <laughs> is in a hot mess right now. Yeah. And we're in, we're at this very dangerous stage. I, I think where we face, as you know, in the book, I talk about Fermi's paradox yeah. and the great filter. And we're, we're at this moment where we're going to make either suicidal decisions as a species or decisions that can lead to a, a, a a new beginning. And, um, and that's, it's the thing about it is it touches all of humanity and everybody, like when they start to see it, suddenly the word spiritual has new meaning mm. yeah. because it, at that point people can say, yeah, this isn't just a problem of, you know, that's, it, that's fixable. This is a problem that requires transformation on yeah. some mm -hmm. deep level and not mm -hmm. just of individuals, but a really mass transformation of the human species. So yeah. it's, it's a deep thing. Could you describe for the listeners who may not be aware of Fermi's paradox, what did you mean by that in the great filter? I, it's brilliant. Sure. Well, Fermi's paradox, uh, Enrico Fermi was this really important 20th century scientist. And as I recall, I, I, uh, he, he's like sitting at a cafeteria with some people and one day, and he just says, if the universe has been around as long as it seems to have been around, then there ought to be a lot of other species that would have evolved way farther beyond us, who would have developed the capacity for space travel. Why haven't we been contacted yet? <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, you think of Interstellar, or, oh, yeah. you yeah. know, what was the movie? Uh, yeah, all, all the movies about that sort of thing. Why haven't we been contacted yet? And that question became Fermi's paradox and, and a, a number of people who have, you know, thought about that long and hard wonder, have wondered maybe when, maybe when you evolve too fast, you evolve the power to make weapons faster mm -hmm. than you evolve the, de you develop the ability to not use them. Absolutely. Or maybe you develop the ability to, consume resources on your planet faster than you develop the wisdom to conserve and, 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 and steward the resources on your planet. And so maybe there is something that, you know, no, that, that species self-destruct 
um, when they reach a certain level. And as soon as whoever came up with that idea called the great filter, you know, they said, oh, I, I won't quote what they must have said. <laughs> but because then you sort of realize, yeah, that seems to be the moment that mm. that we're facing as a species and the way we take care of the earth and we live with the earth uh, and, and we're facing it with climate change and soil erosion and and acidification of oceans and depletion of fisheries. And I mean, just one issue after another, we do not know how to live with the earth. Yeah. And we, um, and, and then our capacity to build more and more weapons of more and more kill power. You put all that together and you realize this is really a moment where we're either going to grow up or we're not. And, um, and, and what's so interesting about this for people like us who grew up in a, a Christian setting that was talking constantly about the apocalypse yep. you realize hold it this is an actual yeah <laughs> this isn't a made-up fanciful one that you make silly movies about uh mm. this is this is one that we're we're actually facing in real time well you and you made a hilarious statement the irony of the people that are like but we're gonna get beamed out of here and you're like but you can't beam out of this one <laughs> it's coming for you <laughs> but that is interesting because like you talk about um, constructed intellectualism and maybe you can define that in a minute for us, but yeah. just this idea of like, I think in some ways we separated out at least the version of Christianity that I was kind of, and it wasn't raised in a Christian home, but the youth group and church, you know, the beginnings for me, it yeah. was very much like, well, you're going to get beamed out of here anyway. So don't worry about the earth. You know yes. what I mean? It was very much. And my mom was, like a biologist. So that was not what I was being taught at home. So it, it didn't yes. line up for me. Like it was yeah. like, well, why wouldn't it? What? Like it was so foreign to me, but then that's something that just became part of is like it integrated into your faith that, that we don't actually care for the earth. We only care for people's and we don't even really necessarily care about people's needs. It's their yes. spirituality, right? Not like physical yes. needs, but this is this, separation between like the physical and the spiritual and um yeah it's just wild <laughs> just, yeah. but that can you um can you define and like kind of speak into this constricted yeah. intellectualism yeah so one of the th well i grew up in in a you know that that's what i grew up with um my, my parents were such good people that they didn't live consistently with their theology in other words they right. lived way better than their theology would have yeah. led them to behave. Uh, I'm so grateful that I have had parents like that. But, mm -hmm. um, uh, but I grew up, the church I went to really was, a. they would have preferred we didn't go to college, you know, that wow. like, yeah, yeah. we should wow. have just studied our Bibles and gotten a simple job so that we could be at church and all the rest. And I've, I've met a lot of other people like that, um, wow. who, who were raised in similar settings, Jesus and Jesus is coming back soon. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example in your neighborhood, uh, a dear friend of mine, Chuck Smith, Jr., son of the founder mm -hmm. of a church that's pretty well known in your neighborhood. Yeah. Um, Chuck is one of the most brilliant people I've ever met, but he was discouraged from going to college because Jesus is coming back. Why go to college? Why get an education? Just be out saving souls and so on. Um, that's what I grew up with. Well, then I was introduced to a form of Christianity that was much more intellectually robust. Um, and these people were serious about learning. 
But what I realized is they, they weren't anti-intellectual. They were super intellectual. But the problem was you always knew the conclusion you had to end up with. Mm, so your, right. all of your intellect was exercised to make sure that your conclusions would be proved right in the end. Mm. Um, I, and, and that's what I mean by constricted intellectualism. Yeah. Um, I, I think there is a lot of anti-intellectualism out there, but I think what has we've seen a lot more of in recent years is this constricted intellectualism. And it, it's rigorous and people invest tens of thousands of dollars in books and seminars and everything, trying to make it work and, yeah. and seminary degrees and everything else. Um, and the irony is that from the beginning to the end, they're not allowed to just be curious. Yeah. 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 I really appreciated that about your book. Cause you're actually entrusting people saying you can make your own, you can land where you yeah. land and you can, you have your own thoughts and opinions and brains and you, it's like you're trusting people with their own ability to make choices. And yeah. you know what I mean? I think sometimes I know that sounds ridiculous no, when you say it out no, loud, no, it, but, no, no, but honestly, well, I guess we're just not used to having sort of religious people uh, trust people that way. But gosh, as soon as you say that, Jen, it makes me think of that episode in the gospels where a rich young guy comes up to Jesus and has questions and Jesus doesn't give him the answer he's looking for. And he walks away and Jesus doesn't like tell him, you know, you're going to hell. You, you better rethink. He, he just lets him go. He loves him, yeah. but he lets him go and, as if to say, well, that's the choice he's making. You know, he, he's an adult. He's uh, he, he's going to make his choice. And even the, that, you know, primal story of the prodigal son, we don't see the father threatening the son. If he runs away, right. uh, you know, this isn't going to turn out well, you'll be sorry. You know, yeah. it, it, part of, I guess th th there's this letting, letting go and letting be that, that, that I think is part of reality. <laughs> this is obviously like a, when you say it in the introduction, it's a bit of an autobiographical book in a sense of, this is your personal wrestlings that you're naming that just happen to be what everybody's feeling in a lot of ways. Um, what was that like writing that first section for you? Cause then I started crying reading some of what you're writing. Cause it's so, I so yeah. identified with it. Yeah. What was that like for you? You know, for me, the things that brought me to tears happened many years ago and resulted in me going on this journey. So the act of writing it to it has felt like a relief. Hmm. Uh, it, it's felt like, Oh, I'm finally, this is something I've been trying to say for 15 years. And I think I'm finally figuring out what it is I've been trying to say. Like Jen, what you brought up about constricted intellectualism. I I've been trying to articulate that for a long time. And I, I just got around the corner. I needed to, to put that into words or later in the book, I have this whole section on what I call the cult of innocence and yeah. um, that all that stuff about innocence had been sort of hovering around. I just couldn't quite get it into words. And and so there's sort of a relief at being able to, oh, they're, mm. they're finally, you know, that's what I've been trying to say. But, you know, behind all of those, you know, things that are relatively easy to say now, yeah, there's, there's pain for all of us, I think. And for me, yeah, there's, there's 
uh, memories of pain mm. and fear. Mm. Um, yeah. Describe that, the fear part. Well, uh, I, I go back and in, in many ways, I started trying to speak my truth in about 1997. I remember. Um, uh, and my first book came out in 1998. And um, I remember when that book came out, when the book was about to be released, I said to Grace, um, I might lose a lot of my friends, you know, mm. when this book comes out. Um, and I did lose a few. And I, I remember, uh, uh, yeah, some experiences where people who I'd really, you know, they're people you count on that have your back and i knew what they felt they felt brian has betrayed us he doesn't uphold the truth anymore and and so their experience was that i betrayed them but of course my experience was hold it i thought we had a friendship you know um and it, yeah. and even though yes. I, I understood yeah. why they needed to sort of cut me off uh, I, I mean grace and i have four children um and two of our our two younger children are gay and uh I'll just never forget how many of our friends felt the need to tell us that they didn't approve of our children being gay. And, and I understood why they needed to do it because they would feel that they're being disloyal to their own theology or whatever. But, you know, there was this feeling like, hold it, you know us. Yeah. No, you, we don't, we don't need you to agree with us, but why do you need to, tell us that you don't approve. We know you don't approve. We accept that you don't approve. Anyhow, all of those things, they just sort of add up, you know, over a lifetime. And yeah. Yeah. yeah we can relate. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it's funny. Cause I think people maybe, you know, you wrote the book, you're the kind of guy out in front. Like maybe people don't think about how those things actually can hurt. Um, leaders as well, you know, and people, yeah. authors, speakers, whoever. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the, the great uh, Danish philosopher, um, Soren Kierkegaard has a little known quote. He said, all true preaching comes from malice. <laughs> what he <laughs> meant by this was that there's got to be pain. There's pain behind uh, us having a message. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and uh, I think, that pain uh, for a whole lot of people, that pain really adds up. And one of the things that's helped me is first, it's helped me when other people open up about their pain. And, yeah. you know, and I hope one of the things I'm sure you feel this as a pod as podcasters, your podcast, somebody's driving in their car and it's a safe place and they're listening to a conversation and they're able to say, I have that pain too, yeah. you know, you're giving them that permission. And it's one of the things as a writer, I, I hope I'm giving people yeah. um, that permission to say you have pain and it counts and you're not the only one and you're not wrong to feel that pain. In fact, that pain is a sign of your humanity. It's mm -hmm. a sign of your deepest spirituality. Um, the, the fact that you haven't been willing to explain your pain away is a sign that uh, it, it's a sign of the reality of God in the sense that the God in you believes that you matter enough that your story shouldn't 
your story shouldn't be written off and, and not taken seriously. One of the things that's helped me is to realize that that's happening all over the place. You know, I, yeah. uh, the, the book I wrote before this called faith after doubt, um, to my surprise, uh, beca has become very popular among Mormons. And I've hmm. just heard from this wow. huge number of Mormons and they're passing the book around. And I've been invited to be on Mormon podcasts and all the rest. And as I've gotten to know uh, a number of Mormons on a deeper level than I have in the past, I'm just realizing, oh yeah, it's the same pain. Mm. And, and I mentioned my rabbi friends. And when I hear them talk about the agony of watching, you know, leaders of the nation of Israel do things that they feel violates everything Judaism should stand for. And then I go, oh, it's the same pain, you know? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so there's something about that that leads us to that humanizing, that humanization where we realize, oh, you know what? We're all human beings. We all inherited some, some if it wasn't a theological system, it was an economic system or a cultural system or a mix of all of them. And, yeah. and we're trying to, it's not our fault we got born. <laughs> you know, we showed up and we inherited all this. And now yeah. we're trying to figure out how to live with it. Yeah. It's interesting. Even the language, the humanizing, there's a guy who, a friend who was a part of the church for a number of years, and then maybe four months after we left, um, he asked me to surf. And when we were surfing, he said, he apologized to me. Hmm. And I was like, for what? There's nothing to apologize for. And he's like, I'm sorry for not treating you like a human. Wow. And it meant so much to me. Wow. He, he like named the big thing. And he said, yes. I realized that I've got mad at you over the years because I was projecting my things onto you. And yes. since then I've gotten healthy and I recognized that I, that was wrong. Wow. I was just like, Whoa. If wow. you're as you, as you say that, Phil, I just think so many pastors don't even give themselves that permission mm. to be human. Yeah. And, and I spent many years not doing that for myself. So mm. I, there's a lot of wisdom in, in that and a lot of beauty in that moment. Yes. Yeah, if you're listening, you should go do that to your pastor if you go to a <laughs> yes. church. <laughs> um, okay, you, you convincingly landed every chapter in the first section of why you should not be a Christian. Wait, with... hold on. I feel like we should explain the structure of the book, though, before. Okay. So the first part is all the reasons to say no to staying a Christian, right? And then yes. the second part is all the reasons to say yes, and then... The third part is like, okay, well, wherever you land, how are we becoming more loving, like better humans? How do we live? Essentially, right? Okay, so yeah, first section. A lot better. First section. I'm sure you would say that better than us. No, no. Actually, I think you just said it better than I've said it, Jen. So that's great. Um, you convincingly land all of the, the chapters with, yeah, and me too. I absolutely agree with you. We first, let's get out of here. Like, especially when you said Jesus flipped the tables of the money changers and left the temple, never, ever returned. You're all, maybe we shouldn't either. And there is like a deep, yeah. And then you make this turn and you give this whole section on why we should stay. And I have to be honest, none of these are reasons that I anticipated you saying. You you come at it from such a different perspective than what from, I've, I've heard a lot of people do. I mean, this is not in a book of apologetics. This is a very different, I, I think, brilliant thought process. As Jen and I were talking about it right before our conversation here, we were just actually there's laughing and there was this like, whoa, moments of those are really 
fascinating, fascinating points of, of wrestling essentially with, well, what do we do with it? Where are we going to go? How are we going to process this? And, um, that was the part that I started crying at a bit. Cause I think even in our own story, after stepping out of the role we're in, we're like, okay, we're going to do other work and continue on this pastoral vein. And we went into like a sabbatical. And then I think after our sabbatical, I think it like sunk a little deeper mm. in me. And then it sunk a little deeper in like, you know, more of the, your first half or your first section came to light, yeah. to light in our own life yeah. and wrestling. And I think there's even a point of like, what do we, what are, what? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, it's like the yeah. whole thing goes um, into some really fascinating places, actually. When you truly, I mean, when you resign and you release and you just fall, mm, mm. it's quite a ways down. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> There's a long way to go, isn't there? Gosh, mm. yeah. I really just got a question there at all. Yeah, I was thinking, <laughs> what was your question? <laughs> uh, no, but it's just beautifully said. Y years ago, a friend of mine went through this kind of a process, and he said, um, he said, I, I was sure I was falling away from God. I was sure I was falling away from faith. I was sure I was falling away from, you know, holiness and everything else. Mm -hmm. And he said, and then I realized, no, I was actually falling into God. Yes. I was yes. falling out of religion and falling mm -hmm. into God. And yeah. And what's so interesting about that is it resonates with something from, you know, centuries ago, St. John of the Cross called it the dark night of the soul, yes. where he he's basically trying to reassure people, you think this darkness is the absence of God. No, this darkness is a deeper experience of the presence of God and you're encountering God in a realer way yes. in this darkness than you, than you did before. Um, and, and uh, I, I might not say it exactly this way, but it, there's a sense in St. John of the cross that he's saying uh, that the value of all of those wonderful experiences you had that made you feel God was real was that they, enticed you onto this path that has brought you to this deeper place now where right now it feels terrible but if you just stay here long enough uh you're going to encounter reality in, in a deeper way yeah it's, no i just so resonate with that yeah and i think i feel like we are on the kind of more on the other side of that right now at least i'll speak yeah. for myself but and we've been through cycles of this in, in the past. Yeah. This one was a big one, I think, partly just taking mm -hmm. off the identity of like pastor, leader, whatever. It was so disorienting. Um, and really digging into some of those questions deeply that we've had. Well, we but, went through a whole cycle that led us into a process of going, okay, I think we need to transition to the next thing. And then it went to yes. a different cycle. And I'm realizing maybe it's like an endless cycle. Just talking to other people, I think... I feel that sense of wanting to reassure people when you're feeling, cause it is so disorienting at first yeah. and it is so dark. Yeah. Um, and I mean, especially when you, if you start going into some of these things that you're talking about in the beginning of the book, I mean, this is heavy things and there's, this is stuff to be grieved about, you know, like yes. if yes. we are fully human, I hope that we all grieve about these things. Cause, but, um, yeah, there's just something different on the other side. It's like it it really yeah. is the it really is the journey, you know, 
and death. tell me if tell me if this resonates with you Jen it it feels to me like if i if somebody had told me what that journey would be like <laughs> i never would have taken it totally. um yeah. like no thank you no, i'm very happy you. where i am i yeah. actually said that at one point i was like do you wish we could still be back like yeah. because we were driving through the town that i was a youth pastor and i'm like what if we were still just surfing here and we just were oblivious to the whole thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, what if we, yeah. there's no concern. What if there's such simpler times? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But then as you say, but then you, you go down, you, you have no choice. You, you get yeah. dragged into this new place and, um, and you're in this, what, what are you calling this? This new place. You're this in new this space, new place. Yeah. <laughs> new space. Yeah. And when you're there, there are moments where, you know, it, it doesn't hit you like an electric jolt or something, but it mm. hits you like this quiet awareness. Wow. Like for me, one of those awarenesses is, is, wow, I can be a Christian without having to think I'm better than everybody else. I know. Um, Just imagine uh, that. <laughs> I, wow. I can be a Christian and I, I can be, I can love a non-Christian just as much as a fellow Christian. I don't have to always be discriminating between insiders and outsiders. Wow. Mm -hmm. And there's just these sort of quiet moments of, wow, this is worth that journey. The journey, I never would have chosen it, but I'm glad I didn't get the choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's something about the alignment to be able to be living and breathing and saying mm -hmm. it all lines up. And to be able, like you said, to to be able to treat all people equally, like I mean, that feels like a real base level thing. But like as Christians, you, it's like you know, there really is a sense of like we're the chosen ones, or we're in and you're out, or like yeah. you know that language of like are they oh they're a believer and like yeah. that sort of talk. Yeah. You know, that's a that's a thing. Um, it's a relief. It's like a massive relief to be able to yeah. live aligned in that way. For me, yeah. it feels so good. But yeah, I don't. I don't know if I would choose the path. That's for sure. I don't. I don't think you choose it. I think you Painful. just die into it. Oh no! He yeah. said that you're dragged into it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, can I read a page from? Yeah. Your chapter called "Because I'm Human." It's one of the. It's yeah, part, section yeah. two. One of the reasons for staying. And then I'm going to ask you a um, pointed question at the end. It's a couple paragraphs. It just moved me. I, Jen and I were reading this right before this conversation. Um, but we are talking about your book. I feel like it's worth leaning into this one. You say, when you embrace solidarity, you embrace humanity, including Muslim humanity, Jewish humanity, Buddhist, Hindu, Sikh, humanist, and atheist humanity, including the humanity of those Christians whose behavior consistently prompts you to ask if you can stand staying Christian for even one more second. You stop seeking innocence through separation. Instead, you seek love through solidarity. If you choose solidarity in the way modeled by Jesus, then you don't have to stop being Christian. In fact, you may have just become a better Christian than you've ever been. And as you move forward, you may have to politely pass through a crowd of religious company men who tell you to go away because you don't pass their purity test. You may have some old friends reject you, and you may struggle to keep accepting them anyway. You may have to find new teachers 
and mentors who can walk with you toward Christianity's deeper, wider heart. If you learn to center there, to dwell there, to rest there, you'll find a trap door, if you will, a door that leads into deep darkness. In that darkness, after a long, long silence, you'll hear a gentle sound, a faint but beautiful song, a mysterious music that beckons you. And if you dare to follow that summons deeper into the darkness of unknowing, that line, deeper into the darkness of unknowing, eventually you'll come into a new place, a good place, a place not of elite religiosity, but of shared humanity. And you'll look around and see that everyone is here. They've come from different places, but by the same path, the path of love. Muslims have come in their caravan of love. Jews have pursued the Torah of solidarity. Buddhists have followed the noble truth of compassion. Sikhs have learned to see no stranger, and Hindus have descended into essential oneness. Atheists and agnostics have discovered in humanism a path into our common humanity. And in that great space of harmony, you'll discover a unity that thrives in diversity, in a diversity that contributes to unity, like many instruments and voices coming together to make the same glorious music full of aching joy and soaring sorrow. And in that space, we'll call one another family. And words like Christian, atheist, Jew, Hindu, or Muslim will feel like precious artifacts from our childhood. We will remember those mementos. We'll love them, for, for we are who we are because of them. But as adults, we can no longer be fully defined by them. We will become all things to all people and must be defined by the solidarity of love. And when you find that this option of solidarity is open to you, this option of going to the deepest and most genuine core of your Christian tradition and there finding a love that connects you to everyone and everything, everywhere. You don't need to go anywhere else. There's so many people that, that, that is so beautiful. Thank you for writing it. There, there's so many that I know of personally and that I know of statistically who are in that dark place that you describe. That's what we were just talking about in our own journeys, but like, what would you say to those who are mm -hmm. listening, who are there and you say, listen, you like find the trap door to go even deeper. And then if you go deeper, you hear song. like, how, what would you say to the people? How would you encourage them? How would you mm -hmm. um, give them hope? Well, first, thanks so much for reading that. Uh, and uh, as you read, as you were reading, one of the thoughts that hit me is how many, how I was taught to argue against that sort of thing, mm -hmm. um, that sort of vision. Um, but once you've sort of gone through that trapdoor, dragged through it, fallen through it, however it happens, uh, you know, you you find out that um, that this uh, this new space is a good space. But what I would say to people is this: I would say you're going to have a choice. It's going to hit you again and again and again, and the choice is. Do you venture into the unknown or do you return to the familiar? That's one way to say it. That's good. Um, another way to say it is, will you 
trust that what led you to this place, the doubts that led you to this place, that deeper than those doubts was a love for truth? Mm. Or will you decide that truth is not that important to you and you would rather have acceptance or comfort or, or conformity or, or whatever it is. So, you know, that'll be another way to frame you, that you'll face that decision again and again and again. Um, uh, an, another way to frame the decision is you know, you're, it's not, you know, you're not there yet as if there is, you know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But but you know you're you're not there yet, and so you can become impatient and say, "I had arrived when I was where I used to be." Absolutely. Yeah. Am, am I willing to say I'm not there yet? I'm still, I still don't have it figured out. I still don't know, but I think this is the path I'm supposed to be on. I'd rather be on the path of unknowing, of not yet knowing. Yeah. Then. Uh, sort of in the comfortable, easy chair recliner of having it all figured out. And you'll face those decisions again and again. And if you keep making the the decision that the kind of decision that you keep making will actually help you become a different kind of person. Yes. In, in a certain way, yeah. those decisions that happen just so subtly, you hardly even notice them because it's in the middle of the night and you wake up in the night and you're thinking these things over and mm -hmm. you just say, well, I'm going to stick with this journey and I'm going to stick with this quest. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to, or you're in a conversation and you realize you could just smile and nod and pretend like you go along with something that you think is actually pretty gross. And instead you just say, yeah, I don't see it that way anymore, but we don't need to get into it. You, you, those little decisions that happen again and again, they're like spiritual practices because mm -hmm. each decision is helping you become something different. And um, anyhow, that's what I would say. That's right. It's a, it's, uh, it's the, it's a beautiful question. That was a beautiful answer. Really I helpful. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. And I think what helps me too is people like you, people that friends of ours, people that we know that are normalizing lean into that, lean mm. into the questions, lean into the unknown, because I think there was a strong conditioning for a lot of us to say, like, don't go into those questions. Like those are dangerous yeah. or you're bad if you're asking questions or you have doubts. Um, yeah. And I think that's where some of that fear can come in that you're <laughs> talking yes, about because right. there's judgment around that or can be. Yeah. And yeah. so I think there's something to just going like, what you said earlier of actually when you're asking those questions and you're leaning into those spaces, you're actually drawing closer to the heart of God um, in those yeah. sincere, honest questions and, and drive to want to know truth, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it takes, there's a certain kind of courage it takes to claim that, you know, to, mm. the, a certain kind of courage to say, I think that's, I think I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> mm. Am I? Yeah. Are we allowed to do this? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, can we do this? You know, I, I yeah. this thought just comes to me, Jen, but uh, 
the, the thought that came to me is it's like, oh yeah, we're growing up. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. We're claiming what adults are allowed to do. And, and, <laughs> yes. and, and what, what came to my mind at that, you know, with all of my background in the Bible is remember in first Corinthians 13, Paul says, when I spoke as a child, mm -hmm. when I was a child, I yeah. spoke as a child, but when I became an adult, I put away childish things. It's almost like he's saying, look, I've reached this conclusion that love is the most important thing. Yeah. And I know a lot of you won't understand this, but I've grown up and yeah. I'm claiming that yeah. love is the most important thing. Yeah. And isn't it funny that we're, we're sitting here ha having a conversation, even as adults, that we can, as adults, ask questions and make our own decisions and yes. come to conclusions. And yeah. And this is, this is really one of the harms that certain kinds of religious environments impose upon us and not just religious, yeah. um, political, political, you know, you can yeah. be in a political party and there are things you're not allowed to say, and you can be in a professional, you know, ideology or whatever. But um, yeah, so this, this happens uh, to people and it really is a damaging it's, it's, it's a damaging thing. Like it's saying, you're not allowed to have your adulthood. I have your adulthood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's one thing that that form of religion and Christianity did is it like it, it disempowered people and it took all the authority and then it essentially subjugated people underneath that. And like the whole scripture, Jesus is, you're going to do greater things. And I'm, I'm giving you the ability to interpret and bind and loose and like it's all yours. Like the like, it's just an invitation to take your authority back and actually grow up. Yeah, it's your life. <laughs> it's our world. Yeah, you know that that might be uh, ironically, like th that phrase that gets abused so much in our background uh, of born again. You can almost imagine what we're talking about now, maybe being close to what Jesus was talking about when he's talking with a religious leader who has mm -hmm. to come to him at night because he's scared to be seen in public with Jesus it yeah. is his, the people of his little religious clique will look down on him. If he were to ever have a respectful conversation with somebody they consider a heretic. So he comes at night and Jesus kind of says, you know, you just, you've got to start over again. You've got to, you've got to, uh, you've got to be born again. It's like, you know, this thing isn't letting you grow up. You've got to take another angle in mm. <laughs> at this. Yeah. So that's a great. Um, okay. One more question for you. Can we ask you one more? Absolutely. We're asking everyone this in this season, but what is giving you hope right now? Hmm. You know, I, I've I've been thinking about this a lot because I, I I had this realization a few years ago that when I get paid to go out and do speaking, um, what people are really paying me for is to give them hope. Mm. And I started resenting that a little bit. And mm. I started thinking, I don't really want to do that because for, for a couple of reasons, but I realized that the hope that people want me to give them is it's going to be okay. Like <sighs> what you're doing is fine. It's going to be okay. Uh, and I just don't think that's true. I don't think it's going to be okay if we just keep doing what we're doing. And, mm. um, uh, 
And so I started realizing that there's a kind of hope that is based on the idea that keep going and everything will turn out okay. Um, you know, the sun will come out tomorrow, <laughs> bet your bottom dollar tomorrow, uh, which I, this is a, kind of a fun little song, but, <laughs> uh, and there, there's certainly some truth to it. But what I started realizing is the kind of hope that I feel more deeply is the hope that says, if you guaranteed me that everything I care about was going to end up in flames, I care about it so much that I would do it anyway. Mm. And, and there's the hope that it's the right thing to do. So it's worth doing, you know, mm. um, you know, I live, on, I live on, on a little Island in the, in the Gulf of Mexico, right off the coast. And, um, and I do a lot of ecological work here. I'll start in a couple of weeks at sea turtle season here. So I'll help oh, do cool. sea turtle monitoring. And every year there's less beach because the sea level here rises about an eighth of an inch a year, which doesn't sound like much, but I've lived here for over eight years. So it's risen oh, an inch. Sounds like and a ton. Yeah. It, yeah. And, uh, and when you think about the environmental crisis and you think, well, this island is doomed and, and this stretch of beaches is doomed and these sea turtles are doomed. But I, I say, even if that's true, caring for them is the right thing to do and I'm going to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of what's giving me hope is, is this redefining of hope as saying, I'm not, I'm not really that interested in the outcome. I mean, I want there to be a good outcome and I want to be smart and savvy about good outcomes, but my motivation is stronger than the likelihood of a good outcome. I, I don't know if that's a, uh, uh, an great. answer to your question, but it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's, great. it's how I feel. Yeah. It, it's kind of like a, um, the difference between this blind kind of maybe, I don't know. It's, it's, it feels like a more realistic hope to me, like an eyes wide open hope. It, you know, it's, what is it? Um, that passage in, the, in Hebrews in the New Testament, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's like the hope itself becomes the substance. And the irony of this is that if you lose hope, then you stop doing the right thing. Yeah. If so, you lose the sort of traditional idea of hope, oh, it's not going to work out. I'll give up. But this kind of hope says, no, I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to persevere against the evidence and against all odds, so to speak. And, but the irony is it that better outcomes become, become possible right. because I don't because give of, up. Right, because of it. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. The, that seems to be the heart that runs through your whole book of the reasons for staying, the reasons for giving yourself to the thing are exactly that hope. And then even your your concern in the third section, which I think is so wonderful, is so then how do we live? Like how do we, regardless of our, I love your last chapter. You're, you're like, I'll be honest, the big realization that I had was I don't really care what you decide <laughs> <laughs> because you're, I'm more concerned about the kind of human you're becoming. Yeah. And how can we become more hopeful, better, loving, kind, just humans mm -hmm. in that? found 
thank you so much for your time and thanks for your words and the work that you're doing in this book and just the world. We're just, we're grateful. Yeah. It, it's out this month. What, what day oh, yeah. is it out? Uh, May 24th. Okay. And, and where can people find you, find the book, order the book? Well, my, my website is brianmclaren.net. So uh, just my name.net. And, um, but you know, it's available anywhere people buy books. I always encourage people, if you possibly can uh, support a uh, local independent bookseller, that's always good, but it's available okay. from all the platforms and there's audio book and um, yeah. So different options there too. And can I just say how grateful I am? I'm so glad I got to be with you guys for this hour. And I feel like I ma made a couple new friends and mm. I, I just thank you for the good work you're doing. It feels like we're, we're all in this together, aren't we? We're all yes. trying to help some little seedlings come up and, and uh, we, we have no ideas of what, wh where it will go, but we we're, we're doing what we can. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to check out our website, philandjenwood.com, for coaching, resources, and events. And if you enjoyed this, feel free to subscribe. You can even leave a review. Keep going. See you next time.